If you have your Bible with you, open up to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We've been studying through the book of 2 Timothy. We went through 1 Timothy, now we're in 2 Timothy. And I sort of set the stage for us last week just by way of remembrance or just by way of reminder. Remember, Paul is writing to his young protege, Timothy. Timothy is a pastor in the area of Ephesus. He's overseeing a bunch of different churches. Not like we would think of a leader overseeing a church, but they were more like house churches. Churches that at this point, it's, it, the time frame is around 65 or 66. Turn me down just a little bit, Kevin. Around 65 or 66, uh, 65 or 66 AD. It's about 30 years after Christ had died on the cross and rose from the dead. Persecution had been, is growing. Uh, Caesar Nero was, was the emperor in Rome. He was, uh, he was doing terrible things to Christians during this time. Timothy, as I said, is left in charge of the churches here in Ephesus. And uh, Paul is writing this letter of encouragement. And it's kind of ironic that Paul himself is in prison over the gospel. He was kind of labeled as a troublemaker. And now he's writing this letter to encourage Timothy to carry on with the gospel because Paul knows that his life is about to end. He realizes his life is about over, yet from this place, he's telling Timothy, Timothy, you've got to carry on. You've got to encourage. And last week, I just want to kind of back up to verse 6. We'll be starting in verse 8. But last week we read, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. So Paul had encouraged Timothy to stir up that gift that was inside of him. And we talked about that, that's that gift. Which gift is it, Rob? Well, first, or Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 5 tells us it's the gift of evangelism. So Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, you've got to go out, share the gospel, keep going, stir up this gift. And, it, and it's not like Timothy had failed to do that. Timothy was doing that, but Paul's just encouraging him to continue because times are tough. You know, see, we have the luxury of being a Christian in today's world. You know, we can leave our door unlocked. We can meet publicly. We can put a sign up in front of our buildings. Anybody wants to come worship? Anybody wants to come for Bible study? Come on in. Well, as persecution grew, it wasn't that way. As a matter of fact, it's not that way in other parts of the world right now. We celebrate Independence Day on the 4th of July coming up tomorrow because we have the freedom to worship the way that we choose. There's lots of places where Christians are still persecuted. There's lots of places where you will still be killed for your faith. That's still going on in the world today. Here we get to celebrate our independence. As Paul is writing to Timothy, he tells him to stir up that gift, Timothy. You keep go evangelizing. Don't worry about what's taken place. And you can imagine... If in that world, in that day, you were trying to evangelize, you were trying to share people, share Christ with people, and think of the cost. What's the cost for us today to go out and share Christ? People might think you're a little weird. People might not agree with you. They might even say some mean things to you. But in that day, what was the cost? Persecution. Death, it could have been, up to death. It was, you know, we have the freedom to do that. But Timothy, when Paul's telling Timothy, go share Christ, this is coming from the guy who's already in prison for sharing Christ. Come on, Timothy, be like me. Go share Christ. That's how passionate Paul was about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can see where Timothy might be a little afraid, right? I'm a little, we know that Timothy was a little timid in Paul's writing. And Paul says, listen, God has not given us a spirit of fear. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of power, love, and sound mind, which means self-control. And we covered that in depth last week. So this morning we're going to pick up with verse 8. It says, therefore... As Bible students, whenever we see the word therefore, what do we ask ourselves? What's it there for? What's he referring to? He's referring right back to verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Therefore, Timothy, 
Therefore, I don't want you to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Timothy, because you don't have a spirit of fear in you, because you have power from the Lord, because you have a sound mind or self-control, because you have this agape love from the Lord that we talked about last week, therefore, do not be ashamed. Now, the word ashamed. What does the word ashamed mean? See, I think in our culture, we think to be ashamed of the gospel means like, you know, I don't want to tell my friends at work about Jesus because they might not look at me the same. Or they might make fun of me. Or I don't want to tell somebody about Jesus because maybe I can't even really defend my position very well. Maybe I'm, I'm kind of new. I, I, I really can't even make a good, good argument why I believe in Jesus. You know, or maybe I don't want to tell people about Jesus because they, they just won't understand. And, and, and I don't want to alien. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want to be different than somebody else. That's not the ashamed that Paul's talking about here. Paul's, talking, I'm, Paul's not ashamed intellectually. He understands the gospel will stand up to the criticism. Paul understands by this time he's written the book of Romans. He's played it through all the way from the beginning of the Old Testament up to the beginning of, to the New Testament, from the beginning of the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's standing up. The prophecies are coming true. He makes a substantial case for the gospel and for grace in the book of Romans. Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel intellectually, but he's also saying, I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. And we don't quite understand that, but let me see if I can explain it to you. Here's what the word ashamed means. It means this. It means disgraced, embarrassed, personally humiliated. It's as if I trusted in somebody or something and it completely let me down. So think about it this way. Let me give you an example. Let's pretend there's two young boys in the school and they're going to school together and and one one boy comes from a, a normal everyday family. And uh, the other boy comes from a, a pretty wealthy family. His father's the, the president of a bank. Let's just say that he's doing really well. Local bank, his father's the president. You know, one, one's coming from a very well-to-do family. And the boy that comes from just the blue-collar family, well, his dad does something wrong. And all of a sudden, his dad gets taken off to jail. Well, the boy that comes from the wealthy family, he's a bit of a bully. So he starts making fun of the boy. That's coming, that, that his father went to prison for doing something wrong. He starts poking fun of him, starts making fun of him, starts saying things about him. Well, then to come to find out the next week, his dad goes to jail for embezzlement. Can you imagine what that boy that was making fun of the other boy, the day that he goes to school, after everybody knows that, that's the ashamed that Paul, that feeling of shame, that embarrassment, that's what he's talking about here. Because what Paul is encouraging Timothy, says, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. What would the Romans who didn't believe say about Jesus? Would he hold any regard whatsoever in their mind? He was, ki- he was crucified on a cross. He was killed. He, he was a man who had followers who had, they, would, they would look at it and say he had no power whatsoever. He was nobody. We killed him. How strong, how powerful, how, how mighty could he have been? He fell under the hand of the Roman government. How could he really have been something strong? How could he really have been something powerful? Paul's telling Timothy he was something powerful. The cross was a disgraceful way to die. It was disgraceful. We've taken the cross and we've made it what? We put a pendant on our neck. We put, it's a decoration on our wall. But it really is only a method of crucifixion, a method of death. It's a way that we would kill somebody. No different than they would, you know, somebody that would get a death penalty today would receive a lethal injection or an electric chair or something along those lines. We've taken the cross we, because we remember as Christians where our savior died for us it's where my sins were paid for but into the roman mind 
to the Roman mind, the, to someone that was killed on a cross, you're lower than dirt. You're lower. Roman citizens were not allowed to be crucified. It was, it was, they weren't allowed to have it. It just, it just wouldn't happen to them. It was against the, the law to crucify a Roman citizen. So here, Paul's telling Timothy, don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of what happened to him. And he goes on and he says, also, don't be ashamed of me. Paul's saying, don't be ashamed of me. Why would, why would Paul have to say that? Why would Timothy have the tendency to be ashamed of Jesus and of Paul? Because Paul's in jail getting ready to die just like, his, just like Jesus did. So what people, you can imagine what they would be saying, hey, Timothy, the guy that you follow, Paul, he's going to be dead. And the guy that he follows, Christ, well, he's already dead. You see, they don't realize that Christ rose from the dead. They don't realize the power that went along with that. And Paul's encouraging Timothy at this difficult time. Don't be ashamed of what Jesus Christ did. Don't be ashamed. And he says something interesting. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me. Notice what he says. Nor of me, his prisoner. His prisoner. That H is capitalized. Paul's saying, I am whose prisoner? I'm Christ's prisoner. Paul's in prison in Rome, facing near certain death. He's not even identifying himself as a Roman prisoner. What's he saying? I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm his prisoner. His prisoner. Wouldn't you think that Paul would look to the Roman government for some measure of authority? I mean, they're holding his life in death. His life is in their very hands. And Paul goes, I'm not your prisoner. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I am, I, am, I am bound in chains for the gospel of Jesus Christ and no other. Paul recognizes the fact that although he may be under the rule or under the sway of Roman law, he is under He is under Jesus Christ, and that far supersedes what Roman law can do. You see, in that day, people would be making fun of Paul. You're under Roman law. You you can't do anything, Paul. They're going to kill you. And Paul would go, no, 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 I'm under Jesus Christ. I'm going to live forever and eternity. Now, at that day, in that time, Roman government was the most powerful thing on the world. Now, which one stood the test of time? The Roman government, how much power does it have today? None. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is still powerful in saving people today. Paul understood that, that it was temporary. The Roman government could only, the worst they could do to him was kill him. That's it. But he wasn't afraid of that because he knew coming after that was life. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of his promises, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. He says, share with me, Timothy. Come alongside of me in these sufferings. Come on, the, many people at this point had abandoned the Apostle Paul. Lots of people we're going to read at the end of the chapter, they're not even following with him anymore. They've gone off on their own way. They're, they're doubting Paul. Their, their faith is being twisted. They're not even, it, it's, it's become weak. They're not even following with Paul. And Paul tells Timothy, I want you to share with me in the sufferings. Share with me in the sufferings. Paul says, Timothy, come alongside me. How do we share with our brothers and sisters that are suffering? How do we do that? Are there people that are just like Paul that are in prison for their faith today? Absolutely there are. Absolutely. How do, we, how do we share? What does he mean by sharing with them? It means come alongside of them. It means remember them. It means pray for them. Realize, did you ever, you ever read, sometimes they'll put out books about martyrs and their stories and you know, all that kind of stuff. And they, I think Jesus Freaks was one. Uh, DC Talk put one out a few years ago and a couple different ones. And you read these stories about people. And you know what your first tendency is? I don't want to read it anymore. I don't, want, I don't want to hear it. I want to stick my fingers in my ear. No, no, it's not happening. I don't, la, 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 I can't hear a thing. I don't want to hear it. But it's good for us to hear it. 
It's good for us to realize that our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world are being persecuted for their faith and they're standing strong. They're standing on it. They're willing to give their life. And Paul's just reminding Timothy, he says, come alongside. I'm a prisoner, Timothy, according to the power of God. Think about that. Paul says, I'm a prisoner according to the power of God. Wait a minute, Rob, if the power of God was so great, why wouldn't it get Paul out of prison? That wasn't God's plan. That wasn't God's plan. The power of God is what brought Paul to prison for whatever reason we don't, may not understand. You see, sometimes we think this. God's power should do in our life what we want it to do. Right? You think that? God, I want you to fix this in my life. I want you to do this thing for me so it'll make me more comfortable. I want you to just do this thing for me, Lord. Show me your power. Do something really cool for me. The power of God is always with us in our life. But it's not always going to remove the difficulty in your life. It's not removing Paul's difficulty. Paul's still in prison. Paul will go and be beheaded, according to church history. So when we walk and we look to the power of God, sometimes the greatest power of God is because it carries us through those difficult situations. It doesn't remove those hard times from us. You ever been through something tough? You ever been through something really life, I mean, I mean a life-changing event where some, maybe it's a loss of a loved one, maybe it's an injury, whatever it is, there's, you know, it's, it's a health problem, whatever that thing is that says, this is tough. And we look and we say, Lord, take it away. The Lord says, I want to carry you through it. I want to carry you through it. I don't want to take it away because there's some things I have to do in your heart. You're not ready for me to take it away. I need to work in your life. It's not that I want you this way, but there's some things I need to do to work in you. Paul says, remember me in that, Timothy. Remember my sufferings. Remember, come alongside of me. Pray with me. Pray for me. And he's going to tell him a little bit later by the end of the book, come see me in this. Come see me. Come on, get over here to Rome and see me. And we don't think that Paul ever got to see Timothy again. He says, Paul, Timothy, bring my coat. It's cold in the wintertime. So get over here when you can. So he says in verse, the last half of verse 8, in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Now look what he says about the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. who has saved us. He saved us. The gospel saves us. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. He paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. He rose from the dead, proving he overcame death. He saved us. And now it says he called us. He called us. I like that word called. Here's what it means. It's an invitation to accept a task. That's what it means. The word called there, it means an invitation to accept a task. After you're saved, after you believe on Jesus Christ, you are also called. You have an invitation to accept, do I want to do the will of God for my life, or do I not want to do the will of God for my life? In other words, what he's saying is, is I, God has saved us, he's called you, Timothy, and this calling, by the way, this, this task, it's holy. God says, I've got holy work for you to do, and that's not just for Timothy, that's for all of us here this morning. You say, Rob, you're the pastor, no, no, that's for all of you guys too. God has a holy plan, he has a holy work that he wants to do in your life. Doesn't mean you'll be a pastor. He wants you to be a holy wife or a holy husband. He wants you to be a holy mom or a holy dad. And he wants you to be, you know, to put your occupation there. He wants you to fulfill your calling with your occupation. Whatever it is you're doing, are you doing it under the Lord? Are you serving him? You know, is he the authority in your life? He says, I have, 
I've called you. I've given you an invitation to accept a task. Now, it's interesting because we like that. You like to get an invitation to go somewhere? You want to get an invitation to a party? It's kind of fun. Someone, hey, we're having a party. Here's an invitation. You want, you want to go, right? But here's the thing. The task, we're not guaranteed it's going to be easy. Matter of fact, I can pretty well guarantee it's not going to be easy. What does Paul say? Paul's fulfilling the task for his life, and he says, come share in my sufferings. Think about that the next time you're sharing Christ. God will forgive you of your sins and come share in my sufferings. It's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to set the world behind and, and not follow the things of the world. But there's a calling on, our, on everybody's life. And Paul's reminding Timothy, he's called us. And by the way, he says, you're not called because you fit, because you fit the bill. You're not called because you're of your own abilities, is what he's saying. Notice what he says. He's called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Not according to our works. Not according. That means he's not calling you because of the type of person you are, but according to his own purpose. God has a calling on Timothy's life to be an evangelist, and he's not calling Timothy to be an evangelist because Timothy was a good evangelist. He's calling, Timothy may have been a good evangelist, because it was, but it was a result of what God had done in his life. It wasn't like God waits for us to get to where we're good at something and he calls us to do it. God will always equip the called. He will call you and then he will equip you to do the very thing that he's called you to. He will very unlikely equip you before he calls you. But yet you will find as the things that you travel through in life, they're all equipping you for your calling. They're all preparing you for the thing that he has next for you. So he's telling Timothy, we're called with the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and what? His own purpose and grace. Grace. Don't you like grace? I don't mean say grace like, you know, thanks for the food. Look out stomach, here it comes, amen. You know, I'm not talking that kind of grace. I'm talking about the kind of grace that says, you guys know what grace means? Grace means getting what you don't deserve. All right? There's a difference between mercy and grace. All right? Mercy means not getting what you do deserve. All right? That's mercy. It means I deserve something. And I'm not getting it. That's somebody showing me mercy. Grace is somebody's going to give me something I don't deserve whatsoever. So what it is, when we see the grace of God, God is giving us eternal life. His mercy covers our sins. He paid the price for them. But his grace is what gives us the eternal life. It's not getting, it's, or mercy is not getting something we do deserve. Grace is getting something we don't deserve. So mercy means I'm not getting what I'm supposed to get. Grace means I get something I don't have any, I, I really, I can't even, I don't deserve it. That's the difference between mercy and grace. And here we see the grace, the grace. He's called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. The grace comes from Christ Jesus. Notice when you received it. What's it say? Before time began. Before time began. How did I receive grace before time began? Remember, God is outside of time. How do we measure time? You know, we, we watch the, the earth rotate around the sun, and the earth spins on its axis, and we can measure time that way. Before there was an earth and before there was a sun, how was time measured? There, there, there was no measurement of time. God, God, God exists outside of our, our reference of time. You know, we're looking at a day, you know, from morning to morning as a day, or whatever you start your day. It gets dark, it gets light, and then our next day. There, that doesn't exist in God's world. God is outside of time. There's nothing there to measure it by. He always has been and he always will be. So before time began, Paul's reminding Timothy, hey, Timothy, before time began, you were called to be an evangelist. 
God gave you the, the, everything you needed to do that, to fulfill that calling. You've been given the grace of God to do that, and you need to continue in that, Timothy. Don't give up, and don't be ashamed, Timothy, of myself and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You keep carrying it on. Don't worry about what happens to me, Timothy. You, keep, you fulfill your calling. And look what he says in verse 10. But now it has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This has all been planned before time. The gospel, in other words, you know, it, it's, in other words, it's not like when God created the earth and he put Adam on the earth and Adam sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, and that brought sin into the world. And it's not, it's not like God went, oh, I didn't know they were going to sin. I can't believe that Eve ate of the fruit and then she gave it to Adam. I, now what am I going to do? All right, I got to think, think, think. What am I going to do? It's not that at all. It was planned from, from the beginning. God's plan, well, it, he, God knew that mankind would sin. He wanted to redeem mankind in part because now he's showing the angels what, what grace really is. Okay, But it, it's not like we're not living plan B, we're living plan A in this situation. It was always planned to send Christ as a Savior so that we could have eternal life and we could see the grace and the mercy of our Lord God and of Jesus Christ. So he's saying this was all planned before time began and now it's playing out. In other words, Paul saying, Timothy, we're living in the days that this is finally coming to exist. We get, we, we're part of it. We, this is only 30 years after Christ died and rose again. We get to see part of this. He says also he's abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What does it mean that he abolished death? He's abolished death? Don't, don't we all die? Yeah, but death for a believer is a gateway to eternity with the Lord. We're all going to die. I mean, it's a st- statistics are clear. Ten out of ten people are going to die. We don't need to form a committee and have a study. We're pretty sure of it. You know, unless the Lord comes back first, we got it down. We're all, we, we're, we're a day closer to death today than we were yesterday, right? We know that for a fact. We don't like to think about it. And as a believer, it's not death that we fear because we don't have a spirit of fear in us. But what we, maybe the process of death is a bit of a problem for us. I get that, you know. I'm not worried about where I'm going when I die, but I want to know how, I don't, you know, make it quick, Lord. Just don't, don't drag it out, you know, no suffering, please. But you see, as a believer, we have the hope that death is nothing but a doorway to being, in, being eternally with our Lord and Savior. Paul's facing death, and he's writing this. I look at this and I go, how could you even, I mean, I think sometimes my, I would doubt this. You've got to wonder, is Paul, is, is his faith even being shaken in this? It's not. We see his writings. He is being solid. I'm not worried about it, Timothy. I'm not worried about it. We're going to be with the Lord soon. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You see, we're all going to live forever, aren't we? It's just a matter of where we go. We're all going to live forever. You know, you think, well, those that don't believe, they're just going to die. Well, they are going to die, too. But their soul will go and eventually end up in the lake of fire. Those that do believe, we will go and be with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. But here's where I think that we fall short as American Christians. We forget that whole calling part. We forget that whole task part. I've got a job for you to do. I've got some work for you to do. You see, we all want, when presented with the option heaven or hell, we would all choose heaven. But... When it comes to, are you willing to give up this life so that you can live God's purpose? That's where we struggle with the problem. Am I willing to set aside, am I willing to lay down the desires of this life, the desires of my flesh, so that I can follow after the Lord? 
Paul is telling us it's worth it. It's worth it. Follow the Lord. Give up the things of the world. Don't, let, don't leave part of your life hidden from God like he doesn't see it. Follow after him. Follow after him. He says in verse 11, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Paul says, Timothy, I'm a preacher. I'm an apostle and a teacher. What a title that is, huh? Imagine that on a business card. Preacher, apostle, teacher. Preacher means to herald, means to call out, to to scream out the gospel, be the one that was sharing it. Apostle means one who is sent with the commission. In other words, he's sent with the commission, and to teacher means to instruct. I'm screaming out the gospel. I'm sent by God with the commission to to preach to the Gentiles, and I'm instructing them on how to live their life. And we benefit by Paul's instructions because we have some of his letters that he wrote. Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, Philemon. Some believe Hebrews. We have a lot of Paul's instruction written down for us. Look at verse 12. For this reason, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul says, for this reason, I suffer these things. I suffer these things. Paul's in prison, facing the end of his life, and he's standing strong on his faith, telling Timothy, Timothy, the only reason I'm suffering, the only reason I'm in prison is because I've preached the gospel, because I've shared the gospel, I've faithfully preached the gospel, and now here I'm in prison. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. I'm not humiliated. I'm not sad. I'm not, I'm not embarrassed. I'm not, I'm not you know, uh, disgraced. It's just the opposite. I'm not, I'm not, none of those things. I'm not ashamed. Look why. He says, for I know, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul says, I know who I believed in, Timothy. I'm confident of who I believed in. I'm persuaded that he can keep what I've, what does he say? What I've committed that word committed, it means, it means deposited. It's like putting something in the care or the custody of somebody else. It's like you go to the bank, you give them your paycheck, you put it in their care, their custody. You trust that they're going to have that money when you come to get it back out, right? And as long as you, don't, you, know, as long as you have more than the, what is the FDIC insurers, you should be fine. Because if they don't have it, the government backs it, right? We really trust that. You know, if we don't trust the bank, we've got the government in place, so we're guaranteed to get our money back out. Good luck. <laughs> Paul says, I've given something to the Lord and I've entrusted it to him. I've deposited with him. What's Paul given to God? What's he given? What's he talking about? His life. He's talking about his life. He's not just his life, but he's talking about everything. His body, his character, his reputation. Is Paul out on Facebook trying to defend his reputation? No. Is Paul out trying to, you know, did he, does he need to hire somebody in the media to, to make him look better? A little advertising campaign? Let's, you know, make the Apostle Paul look better? People are leaving him right now. His friends in Ephesus that, that are with Timothy, they're not even following him anymore. He's going to name a few of them in the next couple of verses. They've left. Paul's not worried about his reputation. He says to Timothy, Timothy, I've given my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I trust that he can take care of it. And until when? How long does he have to take care of it for? Until that day. I like that. That day. What day? That day. Which day? That day. Which day are you talking about? Either the day that Jesus comes back for me or the day that I go to see him face to face. Paul says, I can trust my life with him. I'm giving it to him. 
What about us? Have you given? Have you accepted? Have you accepted your call? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? I'm not talking just about believing here. I'm, I mean, salvation is one thing. Okay, that's one thing. But have we really taken our life and say, yes, Lord, you can do with it what you want. It's yours. You can have it. Whatever you want me to do. I'm going to tell you a quick story in my own personal life the night that happened. I was living in Florida. Most of you know I was a police officer before I became a pastor. I was working as a, as a violent crimes detective, and we had a major case uh, that was taking place. And I'm not going to go into the details of the case, but it was, it was a major case. It was a highly publicized case. It was on the news and stuff like that. And uh, as part of the case, as we got very early on in the case, um, the, one of the, the, the defense attorney accused me of doing some, some really bad things. They accused me of, of destroying some evidence in the case to try to make one party look better than the other party. Now, I knew in my heart I had never done something like that, but they were, you know, sometimes attorneys can kind of go in different ways and, and make things, and they can twist things and make it look like something was wrong that was done. And they, they were doing this to me, and I get a call from a friend of mine who was the legal counsel uh, for, the, for the department that I was working for, and he said, hey, I need you to come down to my office. I said, okay. And I came down, and he goes, what's going on with this case? And I, I started to tell him what was going on with the case, and, and I was sharing with him, and he goes, listen, you've got to be in court, you know, in a couple days, and they're going to have a hearing um, to find out what, what you know, they're, they're going to have a, uh, I forget what they called it, but they were going to have a hearing because they, they were, the, the defense attorney was accusing me of not presenting the evidence because I had destroyed it. And uh, I said, well, how, how bad is this? You know, John was the, was the attorney. I said, how bad is it, John? He said, well, if the judge finds in their favor, it's going to look, it, 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 it could be really bad for you. I mean, you know, I said, could it be career ending? He said, it, it, it could be. I mean, you know, if you lose your ability to testify truthfully under oath, then that's kind of hard to do that. And I said, how bad could it really be? And he goes, well, he goes, if, it, if, it, if they really come to the point where you, they really think that you destroyed this evidence so that to keep it out of trial, they could, find, they could charge you criminally for it. And uh, I said, okay, well. So for the next couple of days, I spent all my, when you face something like that, my mind went crazy trying to figure out how can I get myself out of this situation? What can I say? What can I do? How can I, how can I manipulate the situation? That I, you know, I going back, I'm going back and looking at the old cases. And, and I finally came to a point the night before I was supposed to go to court. And uh, I couldn't sleep, you know, as uh, you can imagine why. And uh, it was about 3 o'clock in the morning, and I was walking around my neighborhood there in Florida. And the Lord put a verse on my heart, and it was John 16.33. And John 16.33, it says this, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In me you'll have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Now, I didn't know that verse. All I heard was a still small voice inside of me that said John 16, 33. I went home and looked it up because I didn't, I didn't know it off the top of my head. And uh, I broke down. That was it. I realized, you know what? All the, all the planning, all the strategizing, all the stuff I was trying to do, I, was gonna just, I just came to the point where I am going to put this in God's hands. I said, God, and I was really afraid of, of, of eventually ending up in jail over this whole thing. I mean, I was really, I, in, in my mind, it had blown up to this thing that I, I could get in big trouble for. And I put it all in God's hands. I got down on my floor. My family was sleeping upstairs, and I started praying, and I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you, I'm answering the call. Whatever you want me to do, Lord, I will do. I, from this point on, if, if, if I'm going to go into that courtroom tomorrow, I'm going to tell them the truth. I didn't do anything wrong, but if they see it, 
you know, if they interpret it a different way, then just let things happen the way they happen. I'll go start a prison ministry if that's, what you, if that's where I'm headed. You know, whatever, whatever it comes to be, as I close that prayer, I said these words, I'll do whatever you want me to do, including be a pastor. Now, I don't know why that came out. <laughs> I had no intention of being a pastor. That wasn't in my, my plan in life. But I said those words, including be a pastor. Got up, went to sleep, went to court the next morning. All of our four major news stations were there. Uh, they were all going to broadcast the, the hearing. It was going to be a big thing. Um, sat on the witness stand, I, I think it was about three or four hours, maybe five hours, most of the day. And uh, got all done with it, and the judge ruled in my favor. You know, said I didn't do anything wrong, you know, forget about it. Two weeks later, the same thing happened all over again, because uh, the attorney made some more accusations against me, and they were coming after me really heavily personally. And they came coming after me. But I realized something through that. People said to me, are you mad? Are you? And I'm like, I'm not mad. That situation in my life, that difficult time, that hard time led me someplace. It led me to a place where I had to give the Lord my life. I had to accept the call. And I didn't even know what the call was. I just had to be willing to say, God, I will do whatever you want me to do. Whatever that means. I had no idea that meant be a pastor and move to Cumberland, Maryland and start a church and have a radio station. I had no idea what that looked like. I just said, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. And he met me there, and we've been, you guys get to watch, the, watch what's taking place. The question that I have for you guys, have you, will you accept the call in your life? I'm not talking about salvation. If you don't know the Lord, that's something you need. But will you take that call? And you say, Rob, I don't know if, you know if you've accepted the call or not. It's kind of like, do you know if you're saved or not? Yeah. Do you know if you have a cold? How do you know if you have a cold? I have a runny nose, my, you know, my, my temperature, I have the symptoms. If you're saved, you have the same, not, not the same symptoms as a cold. But you have symptoms of being saved. Your life begins to change. When you've accepted the calling in your life, you know that you're doing what God calls you to do. You know that you're, and it may not be, and please understand, I'm not saying it'll be to be in full-time ministry somewhere. You might stay right where you're at doing exactly what you're doing. You might just look at it differently and say, I'm fulfilling the call that has, God has for my life. And, it might, and you might and you need to be willing to change that as, as you move along with the Lord. Because what you're doing today might not be what he has planned for you. It might take some time, and he'll lead you down that path. And he'll show you those new steps along the way. But you have to be willing to take them. Now, Paul says in verse 13, hold fast. That means grab on to, hold on to, don't let go. The pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Paul tells Timothy, he told him to stir up the gift. He tells him not to be ashamed of the, of the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now he's telling Timothy, hold on to those sound words. Hold on to, what's he, what's he saying? Hold on to the gospel, Timothy. Don't overcomplicate it. Keep it simple. Hold on to the things that I taught you. Don't, you know, at this point, there's all kinds of doctrines that are running, all kinds of strange things. Hold on to the basics of the gospel. Oh, do we need that message today? Do we need to just hold on to the fact? Do you, do you ever get to the point where you're just like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm saved. It's just, it's not really any big deal anymore. It's just like, well, yeah. No, that is a huge deal. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you are eternally secure and you know you know that you are saved and you are, and you are you know, abiding in Christ and he is abiding with you. Don't ever take that for granted. Don't ever just hold on to that. Hold on to that gospel. He says, the good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. The gospel of Jesus, Timothy, keep it. Let, it, let the Holy Spirit's dwelling in you, Timothy. Don't let go of it. He says, this is what happens. 
This you know that all of those in Asia, this is Asia Minor, where Ephesus would have been, have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. These are probably two people that he's calling out. Paul says, these two guys, probably prominent, probably well-known, they've left me. They're embarrassed of me. They've, they've turned away. He says, the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously, and he found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. There's the day again. There's the day. What day? The day that either you see the Lord face to face or that he comes back. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. So Paul is writing this, and we're just finishing up chapter 1 this morning. And we see that Paul is being very, very clear on Timothy. I'm amazed that he's writing from prison an encouraging letter. I think I'd be writing, Timothy, pray for me. You know, can you help me with this? And, you know, really get, circle the wagons, Timothy. We really need to pray to get me out of here. Paul's not even, Paul's not even asking for prayer to get him out. He, he's willing to walk in whatever God has for him. He is so grounded in his faith, he's not worried about it. Whatever you need, Lord, I'll do it. Whatever you mean, wherever I'll go, I've accepted my mission. I've accepted my task. I've accepted my call. May we, too, be willing to accept the call. Paul will say at the end, and I love this area of scripture, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Time of my departure is at hand. Paul can say, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. That includes us. Will you be able to say that you fought the good fight at the end of your life? Will you be able to say that you finished the race? I've accepted the call. I've accepted the task that was given to me. I was saved. I was believed. I realized that God created me before time began, planned out my life, planned out my, for the ministry here. You know how much planning I do for next year in ministry? Very little. You know why? Because I can only plan God's got to lead. I want to, God, where do you want us to go in ministry next year? There should be more prayer and less planning in churches sometimes. God, what is it that you have for us to do? I had a, I had a guy tell me one time, he said, uh, before we, when we were just getting started, he said, what's your five-year plan? I said, I don't have a five-year plan. He goes, no, you're planning a church. I said, yeah. He goes, what's the five-year plan? I said, I don't have a five. He goes, well, all right, what's your one-year plan? I said, I don't know. I don't have a one-year plan. And he goes, how can you not have a plan? I said, he goes, you've got to be planning on something. I said, well, I'm planning on being closer to God next year than I am this year. And he just looked at me and goes, it won't work. You can't do it that way. And I said, listen, I just want to serve the Lord. God's called me here. He's got to plan it. I just want to walk in it. It's his ministry. It's his church. It's his stuff that he's doing. I can't be so overwhelmed with planning because you know what happens? Then I'm not, I'm not flexible to what the Holy Spirit would have me to do. If I'm not willing to start and stop things, if I'm not willing to say, Lord, you lead me, it's all my plan, then I'm just, I'm, I'm just fulfilling man's plan. You see, it's my heart, and it should be all of our hearts. God, what do you want from my life? Try it sometime. Try it this week. Lord, what do you want me to do this week? What do you want me to, you know, not saying planning is bad, because you do have to have planning, you do have to have organization. But plan, realizing, plan through prayer. Plan through prayer. Let God lead you in your life where you're going this week. Ask him, who do you want me to call? Who do you want me to talk to? Who do you want me to encourage? Who can I go help? Just be, being available to be used by God. In just a few minutes, we're going to take communion together this morning. And uh, 
It's my prayer that we would see this this morning as an opportunity to be encouraged and ask ourselves this question, have I answered the invitation for the will of God in my life? Not if I just believe so that I won't go to hell. Have I answered the invitation where God says, I will, I will be the one that leads you, I will be the one that guides you, and I will be the one that directs you. Have you answered that? Have you made yourself available to that? So as the guys are going to be passing out the communion elements, I want you to just hold them in your hand, and then I'll come back up and we'll talk a little bit about it. But before, you, before we do that, I want you to seek the Lord in prayer. I want you to be willing to go before God and say, God, what is it that you wanted to show me this morning? And when it comes to communion, I want you to just, the only requirement to take communion is that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Okay, it's not, it's not that you were good last week. It's not that you, you know, lived a holy life last week or last month. The only requirement that we see in the scriptures is that you are a believer and you've given your life to Christ. Now, Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, listen, if you, if you don't take it, if you're not a believer and you take it, you'll actually be drinking judgment upon yourself. So if you're not a believer here this morning, just let the communion tray go on by. No one's going to think anything about it. No big deal. But if you are a believer, take the elements in your hand. And we're going to talk about them in just a few minutes. But I want you to go to the Lord in prayer. And I want you to ask him the question. I want you to answer the question with, between you and God. Have you accepted the call in your life? Are you living that call? And if not, you need to find out what you need to do to, to begin living that. And then I also want you to consider and examine yourself. Go before the Lord and examine yourself in communion. What kind of life are you living? Maybe you need to repent of some things. Maybe there's some things you need to turn away from. Maybe you've, you know, made some, maybe, maybe your life has been a wreck for, for a, a week or a month or a year, however long it's been. You see, these are the kind of things and people would tend to say, well, I'm not, I'm not worthy to take communion. Rob, you don't understand. I've been away from the Lord for a long time. I, if you knew the kind of week I had, if you knew what I did, no, no. You, there's nobody that needs communion more than you. Because communion is just that. We come into the presence of God and we commune with him. You don't have to be worthy to take communion. You just have to be a believer to take communion. So I would encourage you, if you've been away, if you, you know, are coming to the Lord, take those elements in your hand, and we're going to talk about what they mean before we take them. And we'll take them together corporately. So go before the Lord now. Just take a few minutes in prayer and, uh, and seek your Savior. Father, we just come before you. Would I just pray for those folks that are here, the people's hearts. Would you just minister to them individually in their own way? Father, you know where all of us are at. You know exactly what we need to hear. If we need forgiveness and repentance, may you just burn that into our heart. If we need encouragement, would you encourage us in your word through our brothers and sisters? Just go before the Lord now.